Hi there, my name is Tom Nook, and I'm here to talk to you about some exciting timeshare opportunities on an abandoned island. And I look like the mother of a solid gold dancer. It's Ursula the Sea Bitch. And this is Reading Drag Race, the show where we talk about whatever we want. But mostly RuPaul's Drag Race. Hey, Ursula, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. I've hit this weird nether space. Um, I'm doing okay. Work was kind of a, a bitch this week, but it's fine. Um... It's clear we are getting to a point where if it's not the end, the end is in the distance, but that's weirdly spiked my anxiety more than not knowing when the end is because I'm still convinced lots of people are going to do things too soon to be safe and it's kind of, you know, making me anxious. Well, that was a real answer. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I do not know what the future holds. It is very unclear. And I feel like I was getting very weird, and I feel back to my normal self now. That said, I definitely feel like this was easy with my husband early on, and then it got a little weird, and now I feel like I'm back to normal, but it's also like, if you and I are basically living in a bunker for the foreseeable future, like, I need to draw more boundaries with you. Like, hey, when I'm actively practicing to... Like, do a job interview or something in this room. I need you to not walk in and out all of the time. Uh, which is, you know, that's life. Um, anyways, so we're here to discuss RuPaul's Drag Race Season 12, Episode 13, the Zoom Virtual Reunion, which looked exactly as I anticipated it would uh, at the top of this, or I guess at the beginning of quarantine. What did you think, Ursula? Overall, I was pretty impressed. Um, I thought RuPaul... My my one immediate critique was RuPaul's face mask was clearly going for, like, we're having a beauty night. We're doing we're doing uh, face peels or whatever. And the fact that it's, like, a Lycra mask, it just, it went right to Luchador for me. And that was, like, a weird thing to think every time RuPaul talked. Um, other than that... My kind of... Well, before we pass that, let's not drive past that too quickly. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I would like to pause right now and comment on that. That's exactly <laughs> where it landed. And the, like, endless zip hoodie was like, what are you, like, young millennial chic? Calm it down, RuPaul. I looked at this look and I was like, it's not, like, bedtime enough. Like, yeah. I get that it's a little lounge wary, but it's not bedtime enough that to me it was just like I le- like whatever excuses there are for like either the theme or she doesn't have her her hair and makeup people I think in the end it landed so far over that it was like you're just hiding your face like you, like if it was white it might have worked like the mask might have worked and the hoodie just doesn't look like bedtime enough it looks like loungewear but it's not bedtime I was it was ridiculous to me yeah I, I didn't need her, her in a full beat because she never does the reunion uh, in drag. So that, that was not my problem. It was like, like her, her doing a gag of like her hair up in rollers in a robe was like closer to like bedtime wear or like a sleep, like it was mom, sleepover at bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Like mom running a sleepover would have been, yeah. It, and, and maybe it's just in particular, the way the mask comes to like sharp points on the sides of her face. Like if it had stopped at the cheeks, maybe it just, it, it hit a weird, it was like, it was slightly odd. Amazon still works. You could have gotten a couple of different things. Oh, there's fine. no it's excuse fine. for this. This It's not. Like, you're saying it's fine and I'm saying it's not. If it was white, it could have passed as like a, an actual face mask. It's just fully like, I don't have my Emmy Award winning makeup artist and I'm going to cover my face with a mask. Like, it so was not close enough to the theme to be like, that makes sense. It was so bizarre. Also... Like, the fear of showing your face. Honey, you're a professional. Go to bed with some hemorrhoid cream under your eyes before the reunion. Dunk your face in some cold ice water. A touch of concealer under the eyes. A tab of blush on the cheekbones. Some mascara. An eyelash curler. A touch of colored chapstick. And you are photo ready as a man. They can airbrush you. This is Zoom. The vanity RuPaul is... Come on. Pull it together. You You know enough about... Uh, Joan Collins to have been able to do this. Yeah. Or if she just wanted to do a face mask, just do a real face mask. Like, there's a cu- there's plenty of, like, you know, avocado scrub she could have just slapped on her face for the hour, and it would have 
been in theme. But I'm not angry. I'm just noticing. Oh, that's actually the thing I had like the strongest opinion of, of yeah. this episode. Yeah. Everything else here was surprisingly pleasant. I actually found myself pretty happy. Like, like not just like happy with the reunion, but happy after watching it. Uh, oh yeah, no, I, it was a good time. Yeah, I, they, they really managed to turn this into an hour, hour and a half long Kiki that we all kind of needed. Yeah, overall I enjoyed it. I thought they did. Obviously they spent sent everybody a halo light and made sure everybody had an at least decent camera. I imagine with some of these girls they sent cameras. And some and some uh, green screens for doing backgrounds because those are not three-dimensional spaces some of those girls are standing in front of. <laughs> yes, um, which was... Which was, you know, it, it all made sense. Um, and I obviously they, they did some, like, learnness so we can do a little dance-along thing. Like, it was obviously very intentionally designed. I thought it was well done. I think this is, like, there is obviously production behind this Zoom call. So, it was well done. Um, yeah. What did you think about some of the hot goss they discussed over the course of the episode? Um, it was cute watching them try to manufacture drama because what was it? it was it was Britta and Aiden, Gigi and Heidi, and like just you know it's just this isn't the season with you know go back to Party City. There just isn't there is no deep grievances that need to be aired here. There were mild sniping in ten in a couple of tense moments, and that was all. Um, I actually liked that it was that it was like almost set up and asked in a way that gave the queen's room to be like, I see the error of my ways and I'm apologizing. And also like, I get where you were coming from. I don't hold any grudge. Like, thank you for the apology. It was very like civil. And I feel like, at least for me, I am past the era. I was never somebody who was like, I want to watch people fight on reality TV and I know there have been iterations of that in drag and a lot and drag race, and a lot of people have missed that. Yeah. That was never the draw for me. And I also feel like in Trump's America, like the left modeling civility, civil disagreement is like much more like <laughs> I want to see that way more than I want to see people get into an argument over like a poorly phrased constructive criticism moment. I, I will say I did like uh both uh Britta and Jan kind of acknowledging what the consensus about their behavior was, where it's like, Britta was like, I was not doing as well as I thought I would, and I lashed out, and Jan was like, I was upset that I was not doing as well as I thought I would, and I was having a lot of feelings. Like, thank you. That piece of honesty on both your parts retroactively knocks you both up a notch in my estimation. Um, I hear what you're saying. I don't... I still feel that the production team and the girls made way too big of a deal about pouncing on Jan during that episode that she was crying because she didn't win. And I thought it was bullying on behalf of the other queens and production and the world. And I also feel like Jan had been safe week after week and it was clearly building. And then she was sure she was going to win that challenge and then she didn't. And then Britta went home. Like, to me, it was an avalanche. And I know losing the Madonna-rama was like a big weight that broke that camel's back but i still felt like it was bullying to be so on her about it that like that i i'm glad that she said that but i also i really disliked the way that that was handled by pretty much everyone except for jan okay to this day i think i think it was bullying uh should we talk about the looks yes okay uh my favorite it's gotta be crystal Giving me drag Ebenezer Scrooge just tickled me. The the holding the candle up the whole time. I don't know. That oh, was yeah. the fu- funniest fucking thing I've seen in in weeks. That that just killed me. <laughs> oh no, I I loved it. And when I saw the preview of this, I was like very excited to see her in that look. I mean, that is why she is top three material. Yeah. Um, I was very excited. And I the thing with Crystal for me, and I'm uh, I'm disappointed we're not gonna. How do I say this? I think with Crystal we'd get. Sasha Velour type of like surprises stuff we didn't expect or see coming in a finale episode and I'm not sure that we're not still going to next week but I feel like she is a really like independent thinker and I love that look that was so fun for this that's like the funnest look to do I love Christmas Carol 
and she would fit right in like the the I, I know you and I know you love the Muppet Christmas Carol and she would fit you could swap her out for Michael Caine and the whole thing would work beautifully <laughs> oh yeah for sure for sure that is all true uh I love Jada's what just gorgeous as like she did a like we expected her to look staggeringly beautiful and she nailed a look that was like fun and playful and like still very lux rich bitch who's better than you yeah yeah no and what i also like about it is i feel like jada is like such a pageant girl in a lot of ways but she does have versatility there's a lot there and i like that with a little time to plan she was like i'm gonna do something that has like a camp glam quality to it you know like because she's not she hasn't shown a lot of camp campy sensibility in the show but i like that she I think she's smart because I think she knows, well, that's something I didn't show on the show, so I want yeah. to show it in the reunion. Yeah. So, I thought it was great. Um, I I appreciated the Aiden Britta conversation, too, because I feel like the internet got so crazy and people got so crazy on Britta, and then there was tension that they smoothed over between Britta and Leslie Jones, and so... Like, I, I also felt like that was kind of a bit of cleanup for, like, the messiest this season got it all. Um, which I thought was, again, responsible. I also like that the show did so much to highlight each of the girls. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. Normally, like, I, I'm really glad they do the standalone reunion. I think that's a much better choice narratively. I was, you know, the, the ones where they bring the queens on two at a time for two seconds of conversation, and that's the reunion, never really did it for me. And I liked in the last couple of seasons where they just had all the queens on at once and you kind of had to fight for attention because that's the nature of the business. Uh, Here, the kind of going down the line and giving everyone a turn to talk worked for me because if nothing else, as we've all learned over the last three months, that's how a Zoom conversation works. You, You can't just have a normal conversation in which, you know, things organically move from one person to another. You have to very be on top of making sure everyone gets a chance to talk. So it, it, it kind of fit somehow. Everyone getting their little moment to be on, to be the only one on screen. For sure, for sure. Um, I also enjoyed that they had two moments where they were, like, acknowledging Sherry's absence, where it was, like, 13, 12 queens at the top, and then the Daliasin reading challenge. Uh, how'd you come in 13th in a 12-queen season? That was... That was great. Yeah. I also appreciate that the show did not have the reading challenge. They swapped it out for the fun, FabFitFun challenge, and the fans did not like it, so they did more of a prolonged The Library is Open moment this episode. And some of those were good. They like, were good. They were they good. Were, they, I cackled. Um, I kind of wanted them to talk a little more explicitly about Sherry, I'm not I'm not sad they didn't, but I think there is an interesting and necessary conversation to be had with the girls from their perspective. Because they knew her, presumably got to like her and respect her as a competitor before any of this came out. And I think they would have an interesting insight. You know, we we've talked about this whenever Sherry's come up over the season. You know, there's there's this tension of we can't believe that this talented person who made us happy is also capable of doing a bad thing. And I think they're in a unique position to talk about that dissonance. Uh, and may- and maybe it would have been a train wreck, especially in this Zoom setting, and it would have been time away from other more fun stuff. But, or, or even to hear them talk about, maybe they, like, do they feel a particular resentment because of how this went down, where it's, you know, it's like their season got derailed, not just by the world, but by this too, where it's like all... I bet they had a bunch of reactions ranging from shock, disbelief, anger, and like like anger. Happy at, to get more screen time. Fair, fair. Like I, there there is a complicated swirl of honest reactions that these are the only twelve people in the world who would have had them, and I think it would have been an interesting conversation. But oh, I absolutely agree. It would be an interesting conversation. There was no way VH1 was going to go anywhere near that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I agree with you. It would be. I'd love to hear their honest takes, but I was I was sure we wouldn't um, going in. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting conversation that I think would contribute something to a larger dialogue that's happening in the larger culture right now. Yeah. Um, so I have to say the other thing about this reunion, and I've been a Pollyanna this whole season, is that I 
feel like this is such a strong cast of such talented girls and it was so hard to see so many of them go so early and having the reunion and seeing i mean i know they edited this but there was clear banter and like pithiness happening some of which was clearly like exactly as it happened in the moment i feel like watching the zoom call made me so feel feel what i felt many times which is so many of these girls went too soon because so many of them were so talented and they had to split hairs to send anybody home and i really hope that in a, a few years we have an all-star season with a lot of these girls in it yeah um, like that, i want more rockham i want more nikki I want more Aiden, to be honest with you. We got a lot of Aiden. I don't want more Aiden now. I want more Aiden three years it, from now. Yeah. And Nikki was great. Her, like, who the fuck is Pepe Le Pew? Slayed me. Like, that yeah. was... She was great. Like, uh, the only one who I think... I hate to say because I don't like piling on Jam, but her shtick kept being hitting the shade button, and it got old after, like, the second time. And she kept doing it. It's like, stop trying to make Fletch work, Gretchen. Just... <laughs> she does have a Gretchen Wiener energy for sure. No, I know she's the thing. She's she's got so many talents as talents as a drag queen, but she's not that funny. I think she would benefit from trying to do like open mics a little bit in New York out of drag to really develop yeah. her comedy timing. Because I feel like that she's got so much going for her, but she's she's no comedian. Who who from this season do you want to see on an All Star season? Who do you think we're going to see on an all-star season? I honestly could make a case for all, you know, 11 of them that don't win. Okay. I feel that I could make a case for everybody but Dahlia Sin. I could see Dahlia getting one of the slots of like, she didn't do, she didn't go far in her season, but it's been a while. Remember her? Like, like there's usually like, I'm not saying she'd come in favorite to win, but she could be one where it's like, oh, right, she was she was great. I liked her. What happened to her? Like, that could be a... But I agree. She's not like my... I really... If I had to be like, who do you really just urgently want to see? Uh, Rockham, Nikki, Widow. Yeah. I think would... Those are absolutely my three where I'm like, I want to see you on an all-star season because I want to see more of you. Yeah, like Widow with a little more time and a little more distance and a where the stakes feel different like all people want to win all stars and i get the and it's a competition and it matters but it's not as like like you don't come to all stars to make your career you come to all stars after like capping a career it, it just i think widow might do better in that like she might be a little it might be easier for her to stay secure in herself and the drag she does in an all star season than the regular season yes cuz i think um i think you're pretty you have a pretty solid career about a year after drag race if you weren't one of the first few sent home and if you made an impact which widow definitely did and i feel like she theoretic i mean who knows what this like post covid future holds but theoretically yes 3 years from now she'd be a lot more stable where there'd be less anxiety because she would already have a pretty established career as a queen who travels internationally and makes a very comfortable living do you know what yeah. i mean yeah. um so I could see that where that might be when she came back, she'd be less in her head and just be able to be as talented as she is to wow us. Um, yeah. I saw a music video or I saw a lip sync um, that was like a black girl magic. I think the Vixen posted, but maybe Widow did, but it was Widow singing to I'm a black woman. And it was like, that song has so much nuance and you could tell the audio and the lip sync were like a quarter of a second off. And that she was doing it so well, and I was just watching it, and I was like, I want someone to fix this. Because I can tell she knows every word of this song, and they're just yeah. like a hair yeah, I, yeah, I saw. Yeah, you sent that to me. That, yeah, it was a great fucking video. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the reunion before we wrap up this portion of the episode? I'm going to shout out Jackie. She had a good, she had a good reunion. Uh, the letter from her mom was very sweet, and the Lisa Rinna thing was cute. Like, for, uh, for the Corona-era celebrity guest bombing i thought that was funny and hey and harry hamlin he's still handsome i've had a mild crush on him since i was eight years old and i saw clash of the titans so it's always nice to see he's still looking good yeah, yeah no that's i mean <laughs> good genes they really stick with you um yeah i uh i agree i thought it was funny that they called out jackie for being bossy because she definitely was 
Um, oh no, yeah, I, I was in there being like, you have a lot of tension with your mother, but you are your mother's daughter, ma'am. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, and on some level, I feel like you and I are both have have a little bit of that Jackie to us, where I was like, what? She's just trying to move it along. <laughs> um, yeah. I act like I'm always right because I'm always right. And people would do well to just listen to me the first time. So it's fine. So (laughs) modest. So modest. Let's take a brief break and hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will be discussing the HBO series We're Here featuring Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela, and Eureka. Are you experiencing upset stomach after a few weeks of dry food stuffs, bottom shelf alcohol, and existential dread? Worried you're not sufficiently stocked with toilet paper for all the processed foods you've been eating? Hoping to make a nooner with your man, or just the Instacart delivery man, part of your shelter-in-place routine, if only to feel the reassuring touch of another human being once more? Fiber for Bottoms is here to help. Just a few pills twice a day will cling to your intestines like you're clinging to the faint hope that this will all be over soon, and clear your insides out, leaving you fresh as a daisy with only one wipe you'll be able to stretch that toilet paper until whenever this nightmare ends. It's fiber for bottoms, and it's here to clean out your colon as often as you're cleaning your hands. Why? Because, hey, wouldn't it be nice to feel things again? And we're back. So, HBO's documentary miniseries, We're Here. I'd been putting off watching it just because I knew it was going to be good, but a lot, and I was right. So I I knocked out... Uh, the first three and a half episodes yesterday. It is good. It is a lot. Yeah, it is. It is a lot. Um, it is. It was hard for me to watch. I watched the first three episodes, um, and it was a challenge. Yeah, because it is dealing with a lot. It is very queer eye for the drag eye, but we're gonna get way more like heavy therapy with it along the way um and it definitely is affecting especially during this time when so much of the trials and tribulations of queer of queer people in rural spaces have to do with feelings of isolation and i think we're all struggling with feelings of isolation in this very odd time in history um i and and to clarify that part of the premise is that Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela, and Eureka come to a small town and do something either with the local drag community or with other LGBT people or allies in the area. I'm not sure how they exactly they get set up with the people they partner with, but it is um, they do a lot to infiltrate the community and to like talk to local shop owners and theater owners, and they talk to... Um, they put on a drag show at the end of the week with the people they've been partnered with. And um, it's usually people in a very rough place in their life or in a transitional place in their life. So it is a lot. From the start, I, I do like this idea of going with the intent of focusing on helping queer people and allies and the queer communities in these places. Because I do think it kind of neatly resolves the kind of one enduring criticism of the queer eye model, which is, you know, kind of reduces queer people to fairy godmothers only here to help straight people learn how to bathe themselves. Um, So I did appreciate that. That really resonated with me. It was also great seeing these performers. Like I, I I was thinking of this in the end of the first episode when they do the first show. Shangela's one of the best fucking performers in the world. Like just... Like, oh, on, a t- on a tiny stage in a tiny bar in the middle of nowhere, where the cameraman clearly did not have room to maneuver, it did not matter. You were watching a star give it everything. And beautiful. Um, also, Absolutely. one of the smartest fucking performers in the world, when she got the dad on stage at the end of that first episode, and he didn't want to do drag, but she wanted him to like get involved, and they basically made him meatloaf from Rocky Horror. I'm like... Genius. Fucking genius. What a, what, you threaded that needle perfectly, Shangela. Fucking genius. That first, like, so the first episode they go to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and there are three people are a gay man who works at Ulta and wants to try drag. 
um, the straight guy who is a college admissions officer and is being an ally and is and this and I thought the episode did a good job with it, kind of comparing like having empathy for the queer community and as a lesson for empathy for the black community. Like I, I thought he did a pretty good job, kind of talking about that. And then the hard one from that episode, the mom who kicked her daughter out of the house for being bi and is going to do the drag as some kind of apology. What were your thoughts on that whole thing? On the the mom in particular? I felt like it was a really big, bold gesture. And she was making a point to make a big, bold gesture, um to make a statement to get a daughter who has clearly shut her out to protect herself to listen. I also think if your child is of that age and you were like a fundamentalist Christian who was preaching basically hate speech theology to your child and your child ran with both being a teenager and wanting to ignore you and also just like, I need to protect myself. So I'm moving in with my father and I'm shutting you out. It's a lot. Um, I think that teaching, I think, frankly, I think that raising somebody, like, one out of 11 people are not heterosexual. It's about as interesting as being left-handed. And I think that raising a child in a home where you're told, constantly telling them that that would make them an abomination is actually torture. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that the daughter was where she was um i think it like i think it's nice that her mother made this big bold gesture i think it is absolutely a start and it is a great start i also think like you know traditionally television would like it for this the teenager to suddenly be like oh my god and you know like i forgive you or whatever but i think like it was a nice perspective to have i would have liked more context surrounding is it just that she's lost her children to subscribing to like a religious philosophy that is homophobic um that has made her change her mind or does like i don't know it wasn't enough perspective it just seemed like the loss of her children made her see the error in her ways um yeah i don't know i have i had mixed feelings about it i also like i have a parent i am estranged from and I feel like I have heard a lot of, like, weird stuff that is about, like, you know, family is this, that, and the other. And sometimes you're estranged from your parent because they're actually a bad person and it's just self-care yeah. to disengage. Like, it's an issue of self-respect. So I know that I have a somewhat skewed perspective on this because for me it's, like, sometimes bad people have children and... It is yeah. not the children's responsibility to, like, pretend that they're terrible parents. Yeah, I thought they... The setup was kind of odd to me. It just seemed like that's a that's an interesting strategy, ma'am. But I do think they handled it well. I was glad that there was no forced reunion. It's clear the show took a light hand in engaging with the daughter, which I thought was good. Like, the, the first rounds of conversation yeah. clearly took place off-camera, thankfully. Um... So that was that was good. It was it was just a it left me thinking a lot. So yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Um, what did you think of episode three, Tanner? I believe who had a mom who, by the way, has kept it tight. Um, and then <laughs> is one of that th- belly dancing. I know one of three sons. His one brother is gay. He was out and gay, living in Springfield, Missouri, which I believe is where Crystal Method is from. And uh, he was, like, doing drugs and drinking a lot and, like, just kind of spiraling in a way that I think a lot of young queer people in places where it's, like, there's one gay bar and a guy who sells crystal meth um, sort of spiral uh, and then sort of seemed to reject all that to become, like, a born-again Christian in a way that meant that he rejected his sexuality and was choosing celibacy and the mother was like i am not a christian uh and i do not subscribe to these to these philosophies and i would much rather him be out and gay and happy and loved than being choosing celibacy and to be alone as though being gay means that like he 
has to give up everything, including men, in order to, like, be saved and be okay in life. Um, I... It's a very foreign narrative for somebody from a big city, but I do think it's a common narrative for smaller... For the queer experience in smaller spaces. Anytime I see these gay conversion stories, they do usually, like, 99.9% of the time start with some narrative of, I was having a lot of unsafe sex and doing a lot of drugs and alcohol. And it just does, it always seems like, you never hear a straight person say, I was doing a lot of drugs, so I'm going to reject my sexuality to fix that. It just, I understand, I think it comes down to queer people in a lot of places and in a lot of times don't have healthy relationships modeled for them. We don't integrate self-worth with our sex and recreational drug practices. And I, it is a little hard for me to connect to this narrative because from where I'm standing, it's just like, honey, you have some degree of addiction issue. You, you were doing too many drugs. You were not taking care of yourself. All, all of the causes and all of the solution have nothing to do with the fact that you that you're sexually attracted to men. Um, so I just see it as subbing out a different obsession uh, to run away from whatever is actually wrong. When you say, "Well, I'm going to give myself over to the Lord to fix this," it's like, "Well, you, you're just picking something else to focus on, and it's not more healthy because it's religion." Like when they did that title card at the end, where it's like he's living as a gay man now. I'm like, "Well, duh." I that th- that one was a little hard for me to connect to, if only because I wondered like. How did you even end up on this show? What person who says, I'm rejecting the gay lifestyle so I can be saved, so I'll go on this drag show? Like, I don't know. that I, was tr- I couldn't quite connect. Who thought what was going to happen here? Okay. I mean, I, I don't want to get to... The casting did seem odd. I'm not sure how it all happened. He was unapologetically like, I'm a musical theater gay, but also because I'm <laughs> born again, I'm like celibate and not choosing to identify as whatever... Um, I, I'm guessing the mother called, honestly. Um, Fair, yeah. That woman knows how to contour. Um, the only woman in Branson, Missouri who knows how to contour. I feel that the isolated, devious, sort of self-destructive behavior patterns of queer people in smaller places is really complex and nuanced, and I'm from a big city, and... I'm several generations of like big city folks. So I, it's a world I feel totally isolated from. In a lot of ways, I felt like this was interesting to watch, but this is so foreign to me. But I do think, I mean, I know in a lot of rural places, it's like there is one gay bar and it is a lot of very sad, self-destructive people who feel very isolated and do a lot of drugs. And I feel like in big cities, you see a lot more like, married settled down gay yuppies who like don't do any hard drugs and are like totally comfortable and happy and don't feel isolated and alone and so it's a very different experience and i i'm going to say that i understand how in a place like springfield missouri it would be like i i understand how that isolation can lead to a lot of self-destructive behavior especially if that's kind of all that's around of queer experience and i i get it but i also feel like it is a false equivalency that would draw would draw someone to be like well now i am a born-again christian and thus i have to be celibate because i cannot reconcile these things because leviticus yeah when when i see these stories like it i get so angry where i'm just like I'm not angry at this person. I'm, I'm angry at the world that treated them this way, that led them to this place where it's just like, like the, the mix of like smug sanctimony and almost inhuman disregard for the emotional well-being for other people that allows you to torture someone that way. It, it's like the, this person got to this place because people around them were awful. And it just like, it becomes very hard for me to engage with that story in any direct way because I'm so resentful on their behalf. Yeah, oh no, I agree. And and to be honest, I'm I watch it and I find it interesting and compelling and upsetting. And I know that I am like in such like none of this the trauma of that type of isolation and like singular this is what a man is, this is what 
a woman should be narratives have impacted me. I, I feel so disconnected from this experience because I have had such, I grew up in such a more inclusive space um, that I, I feel a tremendous amount of empathy and I feel like you should leave and move to a big city in order to be somewhere where this is not the feeling that the environment will create for you. I understand if there was a lot of things that you will miss about it and that you love and you love your family and your community. But I do think that that level of isolation is not good for anyone. You know, I was, I was thinking about that over watching these three episodes um, so close together it really made me think about, like, especially in the second episode, I think I texted you in the middle of it because it got me so bad. The loneliness dripping off of these people. Yeah. It was, like, visibly distorting the air around them. Like, uh, it was something I was thinking about in that, the second episode in Twin Falls, Idaho, there were a lot of scenes of them, like, driving, you know, to work, from work. In the, and it occurs to me that for all of the perception of big cities as impersonal and small towns as more community focused in the modern era where everything is based on driving i think there's a case to be made that the small town is more socially isolated because you are far from everyone because you only ever go places by car you for having a small town where you're ostensibly interacting with everyone you drive from the home to the big box store to work or some combination like i interact with more people in the five block walk to the mariano's than you're going to driving to your destinations in this like town of a you know under a thousand people it was just i've become like rabidly anti-car as i've gotten older and this just i don't know it just made me think a lot of things about for all the perception that living in the small town has to be more community focused everyone in these towns straight people too this isn't just because of the, the queer aspect of it but like everyone seemed pretty isolated i i will give you that i I don't know if I can really say anything meaningful about the rural-urban divide. I hear what you're saying, and I think it's a mixed bag. And if you, and you can find community, yeah, yeah, in both places. I don't know. Yeah, it just um, the other thing that got me every episode. So I've I've watched I I watched four I watched four and a half episodes. I forgot I watched the one in New Mexico, but like every single time they get somewhere, Eureka says, "Oh, this is just like the town I grew up in." Yes, Eureka, we know. They're all alike. That's funny. <laughs> um, hmm. What did you think about Bob talking about his mother, um, talking with Tanner about his mother? That was really interesting. And it was the closest I got to really engaging that whole story was through was through Bob talking about it. And, like, it, and then a lot of it made sense. Like, now I see why Bob is here or what what is in it for bob here uh because he's apparently experienced someone going through this and i gotta say like i bob cried bob yes. didn't, bob, bob got like a little you know verklempt at a couple of places during his run of the show but that was like actual tears and i'm like oh my god bob's not a crier bob is and, bob is a, like an emotionally aware empathetic person who seems pretty centered in himself where like He's present and good on this show with the people he's working with, etc. But he also always seems kind of together. And yeah. it was interesting to see him really... Because he's, like, this isn't... I'm not the Drag Race producers. I'm not going to, like, produce why people are incentivized to cry. Some people are criers and some aren't. Bob really isn't. And so it was interesting to see him get choked up. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't. Uh, and it was clear that talking about his mother coming out as a lesbian, becoming born again and and sort of rejecting that and then talking with Tanner about how she said God didn't make mistakes. He there's nothing about you that he like added too much of this. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with the way that you were made that you are a gay man. Yeah. Um and it was clear that Tanner really needed to hear that. And I think Bob <sighs> Bob is so Bob is like one of the most brilliant drag queens out there and people working comedians frankly I think um he did a really good job of just listening with Tanner early and then he did a really good job of not really responding until he had something really profound and affecting to say that was yeah. simple and not invasive or invalidating but also validating his own experiences and obviously that struck a chord with Tanner that like 
absolutely needed to be said. Um, I, I grew up... That's the other thing. I feel like I grew up Irish Catholic with, like, people who believe any religion that's less than 2,000 years old is a cult. And so, like, <laughs> middle America, born-again, sort of non-denominational Protestant, often hate-speechy um, religion is very foreign to me. So that's the other thing. Like, I feel like I can't... Like, it sounds like when you go to, to wherever, whatever the House of Worship constitutes in Branson, Missouri... It sounds like it's very fire and brimstone for the Sodomites. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I do think Bob pl- did his job there perfectly because you're never going to badger someone out of a position like that. You're not going to lecture them into something. No. So I, I think I think Bob knew exactly what he needed to do to draw this person out. And I think that was, that, that was interesting to see uh, in, in the context of his mom. Okay, so the one last thing I wanted to talk about with this and within the context of um, Secret Celebrity Drag Race is there are moments within it where they're working with straight allies. And um, I think it was the second episode in particular. It was like a guy who was like, I used to bully gay people in high school, whatever. And his, his girlfriend is clearly a big Drag Race fan and he was trying to like push himself out of the box a little. He worked with Eureka. Yeah. I... I find the narratives between Secret Celebrity Drag Race and this about, like, pulling in straight people to do drag and talking about how, like, drag is for everyone. Is drag is about self-expression and drag is beautiful and about love and self-discovery. The, the sort of ethos of the, like, this is how the world now brands drag to heterosexuals who are looking at it more in this very, like, loving Nina West Disney, we're all artists and self-discovery and self-expression is great and have fun and join the rainbow. Um, To be a fascinating occurrence that is also very funny to me because, like, I am... I remember drag in New York and Chicago before Drag Race, and I, I think, like, in 2006, I was dating a guy whose roommate was a drag queen, and I feel like, I don't know... I feel like the Bianca Del Rio but meaner drag queen, comedy drag queen hosting at a bar is like, is what I came up with. And I feel like the the narrative of drag queens as like these wise, loving, sweet to everybody, like queer elders is fascinating, especially <laughs> because I feel like drag queens used to be for the most part mean. Um, not like in a terrible way, but in like a funny Bianca Del Rio, they're going to read you way. Um, and I mean, not like that is, I mean, that is too broad of a statement, but it's definitely true to my experience going to gay bars in New York and Chicago in my early to mid twenties. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will co-sign that statement. Um, I agree that the, the like narrative of drag as therapy, it, 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 drag has become art therapy for the world. I get it. Yes. Um, I... I do want there to be a parallel discussion about the origins of drag and its specific queerness that I think would be helpful to kind of talk about in tandem with, like, do I think drag, it should be accessible to everyone and we should not police the borders of what is and is not drag because that's just a reductive game that gets the winner nothing. Sure. But I can't, maybe there's a way to like add a clause to the sentence of, Drag for me is this way I express myself and uh, comfort myself and feel confident and heal. And that's what I want you to find in it. But it comes from my very specifically queer experience. Like maybe just recenter it just a little because it does like, like, yeah, it it does just kind of come out as if you perform, you will gain like, like, that like the the things we're saying about drag in this way could be said about any kind of performing art, you know, like yeah. um I'm pretty sure, you know, cis het hard rock stars talk about being on stage and their stage personas in the same terms. I yeah. think that's just an aspect of performance and sto- and you know, connect connecting with an audience connects you with the audience. There you go. Um so I I'm not mad at it, but I, I get what you're saying where it, it 
drag may do all of these things for all of these people, but it comes from a very specific place. And I hope that doesn't get lost in the shuffle. And it feels very we're rebranding drag for straight people in a very specific way that I do feel like queer people embrace that kind of creative weirdness in themselves and each other. Um, And I feel like this is why I don't like talking about Halloween with straight people. I'm like, the holiday that you guys have is like nothing compared to what we have this. Like, I'm not having this conversation. Um, I do feel like straight people need this new product commodified idea of drag sold to them. Like, I think there is absolutely a space for it amongst the rigid guidelines of heteronormative mainstream culture. Um, It does feel like this idea of drag to that world is very different than the idea of drag that I, as a queer person, have been engaging with as a as a fan and audience member and as a person who goes to queer bars for, you know, a good 15 years. Well, you know what's missing is, is the anger. There's a lot of drag that comes from, that is, that it's not that it comes from anger. That's not what I mean, but it 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 is inspired. It is fueled. It is a response to the justifiable anger uh, that the people who do it feel. And I think maybe that's where that, you know, like that insult comic and like the, like, the, the the bitchy Bianca Del Rio queen is the sissy who got picked on armoring themselves to be the more powerful person in the room. Absolutely. And I think that's what's like, and I think the show, I will say something I've enjoyed about what I've watched if we're here is the show does kind of engage with that a little there, in next week's episode. Who boy, all the trigger warnings in the world, dear God. Um, but there's a, there's a little bit something closer to this idea that this creativity is fueled by your negative emotions as much as it is fueled by your positive ones. Yes. And maybe that that's what's missing in the everybody say love model of drag. It's not just you're a little sad, do drag to feel better because drag is beautiful and makes you feel better, even though all of those things are true and there's plenty of people for whom that would work. But drag as it's done by the OG drag queens was also at least a little bit about anger and outrage and trauma and forcing your like kind of like um you know fake it till you make it where it's like i will make myself beautiful and loved and powerful and i'll that's how i'll get there i will look like it until i am it um and i think that that's what's missing in the conversation and i think in a couple of places they kind of sidle up to it um with like like the, the branson missouri guy where he was like the the straight guy where it's like he was literally at the point of suicide and this is him learning to process. Like there's something, there is a dark side to this creative process. And I, I hope I agree with you. I hope that doesn't get lost in a, in the broader kind of, I don't want to say disnifying of drag. Cause that sounds reductive. It's but, commodified for straight consumption. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to talk about was how bonkers the Branson episode was in terms of, you literally can't walk in front of our establishment, even out of drag. I was like, who? Like, in the in the first Gettysburg episode, I thought it was a masterful piece of editing because they, they did their little walk through their little, you know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, we're going to stomp the town in our full drag. And they leave and you just hear the audio of the guy being like, what? I, I don't like these freaks. I'm never shopping here again. And then they cut to the title card, which they then held for like two seconds too long. Good job, Mr. Editor. That was very well done. Yeah. Um, and then the nonsense in Branson. I was just like, oh, God, that was that was very difficult to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I'm trying to not say anything inappropriate or reductive about other places. So I'm <laughs> just kind of not say anything but i agree yeah and and i'll conclude by saying i think the show did a very good job of depicting it as it happened while neither brushing over it for the sake of a rah-rah narrative or sensationalizing it for the sake of a, a moment that just felt this is the very real active racism that continues to exist in the world well so that was it's interesting to me that you say that that way because 
I do feel like um, there's a lot of larger narratives in the queer community about like, just come out, you're tell your tell your parents, they'll love you, yada, yada, yada. The world is accepting. And I feel like um, race may have been an issue in Branson. I'm sure it didn't. I'm sure it was. Um, but also being like visibly queer people, a man carrying a, like a big black man with a like Beyonce hat carrying a purse and like a film crew following him. I get yeah. it. Um, but I also, I think it wasn't just that Shangela and Bob are black. I think it's also that they were three queer people. And oh, I think uh, fair, fair. that it is, it is not safe to be a visibly queer person in much of middle America in this day and age. And I think that there's a lot of, we have a lot of narratives about coming out that are very encouraging for people to come out and be themselves and tell their family and all of those things. And I do... I believe in all those things. I think they're for the greater good. I do think that there's something to, like... You can't, like... The anxiety, the tension of having to, like, pretend to be someone else with your parents versus the rest of your life is, like, bad for your mental and physical health. It will kill you. I get it. But I also feel like it is still not safe to be a visibly queer person in most parts of the country. And I think that that reflected that. Like, I think... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will... I will, I will absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So in the balance, I think it is a it is a good show. And I really like that they... It, it feels different than Drag Race without feeling like it's going out of its way to be different than Drag Race, if that makes sense. I don't think it's anything like Drag Race. I think it is doing its own thing that is, like, about the cultural divide between big cities and middle America, about identifying what it is to be queer in a small town in America in a way that we almost never see. And it is doing a lot of like what Queer Eye does, but also focused on a performance art and really focused on the therapy and the like documentary style realness of how lonely and isolated people feel in those places. Um, I I think it's doing something really special that is very hard to watch. Yes, I, I I watched four episodes yesterday and then had to stop. I was like, oh, the new episode's out. I'll just watch it now. And I'm like, nope, I don't have it in me. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. It's very it's hard to watch, but it is good. Yeah, and it is. And I'll I'll conclu- I, I want to I'll end on a happy note. It is amazing getting to watch these three queens perform. Yeah, like up close every episode. Like, oh my god, they are so good. They are so good. So good. They are so good. I am. I am impressed with the, with Changela. I like totally co-sign everything you said earlier. Also, and this doesn't surprise me, Bob is so good in these performances. Bob yeah. is so good in these performances. Such a commanding presence on stage. Um, so, all right. Is there anything else you would like to discuss before we wrap up this episode? No, I think I, I think I've gotten out all of my feelings. I will have no feelings through the remainder of the weekend. Me too. All right. Well, with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Reading Drag Race Podcast. Uh, I've been Conde Nasty. I'm Ursula the Sea Bitch. Bye. Bye.